The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. His story I heard personally. His story goes back about 43 years ago. 43 years ago, he was teaching in Crown Heights, at, well, the Crown Heights Yeshiva in Mill Basin. Very confusing. But he was teaching in, in the Yeshiva of Crown Heights. And again, this Yeshiva is not a religious place. And this Yeshiva is in Mill Basin. It's right near Kings Plaza, whoever you know, lives or lived in, in New York, in uh, Brooklyn. And the, the, there was a certain group called the Masmid Club. The Masmid Club would learn extra. These are boys that were doing a little bit better. They would learn a little extra. One day, this boy, he goes and he, the, the, him and his friends, whatever it was, they go and they go to uh, King's Plaza. And uh, they go and they sat over there. there was a, they got hungry and there was a pizza store. So they went and they started eating. Again, this is a, a you know, a, a group of, a lot of you know not so religious boys and this pizza store was not kosher so they were eating non-kosher pizza and the boy goes and says you know i didn't know that robert wallstein was in you know king's plaza that day and he saw he he saw me but i didn't know that he says you know the next day at yeshiva you know the robert wallstein goes over to uh, this boy and says where were you on sunday so he says i was in uh, king's plaza and he says uh, did you go to eat anywhere and, you know, he, he, he was an honest boy and he admitted, yeah, he says, I, I went to eat in a certain pizza store. So Rabbi Watson gets very serious. He says, what, you, he says, you're a masmid. You sit, he was part of that masmid group. He was a part of the group that learns extra. He was part of the group that was doing really well. And he says, he says, he calls him up in front of the whole class. And in front of the whole, whole class, he tells this boy, he says, take off your tzitzis. And the boy, he told me, he started crying. Front of the whole class, he's eighth grade. He start. He takes off his tzitzis. He says, "Get rid of the tzitzis. Chuck it." He says, and he and he, and he had to. Th- he threw the tzitzis. He threw the tzitzis. And he, the the boy that now is a man, he goes and he's telling me the story. And he says, he says that was the last time I ever ate non-kosher in my life. So I stopped him right there, before he continued the story, and I said, "Did you resent, Rabbi Wallerstein? You just embarrassed you in front of the whole class." He just called you out in front of the whole class. Do you resent him for what he just did? And he said, no, not even a little bit. He says he knew. He says all the boys, we all knew that he had such a love for us that we had no resentment for him. And he said, he said, you know, afterwards, Rabbi Wallerstein would go to him and he said, you know, in hindsight, he, Rabbi Wallerstein said that he acted too harsh. He went too strong. But at the end of the day, he did it. And not only that, not only the boy, you know, now he's, a, he's an older man, never ate non-kosher again in his life because of that. After that, he went to Kamenetz a, a, from high school. And from there, he ended up going to another yeshiva, the Torah R, under Rabbi Scheinberg. And he eventually became a Stoliner chassid. He's a chassid now that lives in Givat Ze'ev. He works and he learns. And he's one that allowed me to tell you his name. His name is Rabbi Moshe Shapov. He is one, and not only that, he was a roommate with my brother-in-law, Rabbi Fran Krohn, in, in Tara R. This is somebody that came from a broke, from, from, from spiritual emptiness. Rabbi Zechariah Wallace, went and took him and guided him through. Now, and by the way, he didn't stop, you know, after, you know, like, like he finished elementary. He didn't just get rid of, you know, like he kept on with him. And in fact, he became a Stoliner Chassid. 
It became a, a, like a full-fledged, you look at him, you would think that he would be born, like I was raised as, in a Hasidic home. And he used to tell, he used to tell this Moshe, which is now is Rabbi Moshe Shapov. He used to tell him, he says, Moshe, he says, you're my ticket to Olam Haba. And this Rabbi Moshe will go back to, to Rabbi Zachariah and he says, Rebbe, he says, no, 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 no. He says, you're my ticket to Olam Haba. You would think amazing, you know. He teaches for 30 years free. You know, for, for not taking a paycheck. But it wasn't only that. You know, many teachers, they go and they teach, and they go home and they forget about it. Or they stress about it. But generally, a year or two later, they forget about it. Not Rabbi Wallacein. He went to, he, he taught in a place where a lot of the people were not religious. He would go and he would try to convince the parents. He, was, he would teach 8th grade. And in fact, this particular, Moshe, uh, you know, uh, Shapovalov, he went and he taught him 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. All three, you know, three grades. He would go and he would try to convince parents to send their kids to a from high school. And many parents said, we can't. Tuition is very expensive. How are we going to, can't pay for, you know, high school is very, very expensive. We can't pay Jewish tuition. Do you know what Rabbi Wallstein said? He says, you said to him, I'm covering the four years of high school. And out of his own pocket, he paid for these kids to go to high school. Not only didn't he take any money, but he actually paid for the kids to go to high school. And by the way, Rabbi Wallstein didn't only pay for high school. He paid for their camp. They go to a Jewish, Jewish from camp. And not only that, he also paid for them to go to Israel. Paid for, you know, paid for everything. And in fact, there was one person that was going through a difficult time spiritually. I was involved with many, many uh, things. And he used to go to Rabbi Wallace's Shirin. This is not one of his kids that went to the actual high school. This is, you know, out of other, other Shirin that he gave to. And he became very close to him. And he was struggling, you know, back and forth in, in spirituality. One night, he had this, this, you know, aspect of like tshuva, like this hero tshuva, this, this fact that he, you know, like he was, he was, he knew that he was doing things wrong. And it just hit him, hit him like a ton of bricks. And he woke up at 3 a.m. and he couldn't fall back to sleep. And he spent the next, from 3 a.m., the next five hours, he spent, he went, the, he got up and he started saying to Helen, he was like, he was like, he there was like something that just hit him. So he went over to Robert Wallace and he says, what am I supposed to do? He was in a, you know, a very low situation and then now he got hit by this like crazy night. A night that he just like got like this, this like, you know, inner power to like just like do tshuva so Rabbi goes over to him and he says if I tell you to go to Israel would you go and he says you know go to Israel he says I don't know he says first of all I don't have a passport secondly I have no way of paying for going to Israel like I, you know, I can't he couldn't even begin he's a young guy so this happened Friday night that Monday he gets a passport, all, by the way, run by Rabbi Zachariah Wallace. That Monday, he gets a passport. He, got, he had it overnighted. That Wednesday, he was already in Israel, in Orsameach. Rabbi Wallace paid for everything. Paid for his flight, paid for his passport. Not only that, he paid for his tuition. Tuition in Israel. It was about close to 10 grand a year. He was there for two and a half years. He paid for all his tuition. And not only that, he paid for all his flights. And he had to come back for his brother's wedding. He paid for that also. He paid for everything from out of his pocket. And not only that, when this you know, young man, when he got married, 
you know, he didn't have, you know, much money. And Rabbi Wallstein went and gave him $10,000. $10,000 that he could buy jewelry for his kala. He could buy something nice for his wedding. This is a guy that I spoke to personally. This is Rabbi Wallstein went. Who, I don't know who alive today does this. I don't know. I'm sure there are people. I'm sure. Kali Shal is amazing. Kali Shal really is amazing. Uh, and I'm sure there are people out there. I just don't know any of any. Like, you know, like, how much he cared for somebody else, not only by time, but by his money. He gave all his, gave his money off to, to you know, to, to help other people. People that, some, some of them he had a close connection to, some of them he didn't have that close of a connection to. You know, there was a, a you know, his seminary took a trip last year. Took a trip to Florida. And uh, there was a miscommunication that one of the girls... You know, ended up in a place where she ended up getting lost. She wasn't in a, you know, she she wasn't in a place where she was supposed to be. And she was telling me the story. She was, you know, a girl lost in a foreign place. She was petrified. And to make matters worse, her phone was dead. She couldn't even call anybody. She was lost for about seven hours. She was telling me she was like Hatsala was looking for her. Her picture went out everywhere. Her phone is dead. All of a sudden, her phone is dead. She can't explain it. Her phone starts ringing. She answers it. It's one of the Rebbitsons, and they're like, where are you? And she quickly tells her, tells the Rebbitson the location, and the phone dies again. They were able to find her. They were able to pick her up, and they were able to bring her back to where everybody else was. Later, she found out that when Rabbi Wallace, and Rabbi Zachary Wallace, heard that one of the girls of the seminary, seminary, uh, seminary, were lost, he went and he put a thousand dollars in staka that she should be found. And she said she found out the time. This is the exact time that he put in that thousand dollars in staka. That's when her phone rang. She says, I don't know how the phone rang. It was dead. I have no idea. He put a thousand dollars. This is the amount that he cured. I'll tell you another story. It was a teenager who was hanging around and Rabbi Zachary Wallace was in the vicinity. One of his friends blurted out that this teenager didn't put on tefillin for a long time, whatever it was. Didn't put, wasn't interested in tefillin. Rabbi Zechariah Wallace hears it, and he goes up to this boy, and he says, I'll make you a deal. I'll give you a thousand dollars cash if you put on your tefillin for 30 days straight. He said, deal. He went, and he put on his tefillin for 30 days straight, Rabbi Zechai Wasson gave him $1,000, and he told me. He said, since then, it was about 16 years ago. He said, since then, he didn't miss a day of tefillin. Who do we know now that you see a random guy that didn't put on tefillin, you're willing to take $1,000 out of your pocket and say, I want to get you to, to put on tefillin. And not only that, he gave out so much money, so much money that that accountant, his accountant in his business, told him, he says, you have to stop. He says, we're not going to make be able to make payroll. He was giving out too much money, paying for people's high school, paying for the yeshiva, paying for the flights, paying for the camp, paying for, he paying for people's wedding. He took in orphans. He took in everything. I want to share with you something that I heard from Rabbi Shaul Rosen. Rabbi Shaul Rosen, is the or, is, he runs the organization called A-Time. A-Time is an organization that helps people with infertility. An amazing organization. Happens to be, Rabbi Shaul Rosen is my uncle, so I'm very proud to say that. But besides that fact, he, he's, uh, you know, he runs an amazing organization called A-Time. And A-Time helps, 
people that are dealing with infertility. And Rabbi Wallerstein spoke for them quite a few times. And he told me, he says there were two major events. He says the first, the first of the major, major events, he goes over to Rabbi Wallerstein's office to go to invite him to speak at this event. And Rabbi Wallerstein usually doesn't take money for his speeches. And he, Rabbi Wallerstein says, you know, I'll come, I'll speak. He says, but I, you know, I, I have to take money. I have to take money. He says, not for me. You know, Rabbi Wallerstein at this point had organizations. He had Ornava and all the subsidiaries that came after that. And he, he, needed to, he needed to, you know, fund the, the organizations. And he says, I need to take, I, I'm sorry, but I need to take money. So Rabbi Rose says, fine, you know, not a problem. And Rabbi Wallerstein goes and he says, after, you know, the, the event, I'll tell you who to make the checkout to. Rabbi Rosen goes and says, fine, not a problem. The event comes, he speaks, the event ends, and Rabbi Rosen, the head of, uh, you know, the one that's in charge of Eitan, he goes over to Rabbi Wallerstein, and he says, you know, who should I make the checkout to? And he says, uh, make it out to Eitan. He says, I'm not taking any money. Eitan is the organization that he just spoke to. He says, I'm not taking any money. He says, okay, you know, like, thank you very much for coming. The next time, there's a Shabbaton. He goes over to invite Rabbi Wallerstein again in his office. And Rabbi Wallerstein says, you know, he says, yeah, I'll come, but I'm sorry, but I have to, I need to charge. Um, oh, I didn't mention. The amount that he charged is also, you know, important. He charged $5,000. And he wouldn't take it. The first time he wouldn't take it. And he goes over the next time. And he says, uh, he goes over, Rabbi, Wall Rabbi Rosen goes over to Rabbi Wallerstein and says, you know, can you come in this week? He says, not a problem, but I need to charge. Again, you know, $5,000. And Rabbi Rosen goes over and says, you know, okay, not a problem, you know, Rabbi Wallerstein. He says, but, I don't know if you remember, last time you told me you're going to charge also, and I wanted to give you the money, and you didn't want to take it. And Rabbi Wallerstein goes, no, 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 but this time I, I need to take it. He says, this time I'm desperate, I need to take it. Rabbi Wallerstein says, fine, not a problem. It was a Shabbaton event, and he goes, and there was a lot of couples that were dealing with infertility, and Rabbi Wallerstein spent, you know, hours going and speaking to different couples, you know, privately and personally. And, you know, comes after the Shabbaton, it was Sunday morning, and Rabbi Rosen goes over to Rabbi Wallerstein with a check of $5,000, and he says, who should I make it out to? So Rabbi Wallerstein goes and says, he says, there's a certain couple that I was speaking to over Shabbos over here. I want you to make it out to that couple. He says, I'm not taking any money. He says, I want you to make it out to that couple. This is at a time where he needed the money. He expressed, he said, I need the money. I need it. He said, I need it. But when it came for someone else, he realized, he said, no, no, no. You got to give the money to somebody else. This is somebody who wanted it. He himself said, I desperately need it. He runs an organization that has, it's mil organizations that cost millions of dollars a year to run. And he said, I need the money. I need a But when he found somebody else that needed the money, he says, you got to give it to them. And he made, had to make out a check to another couple, and he gave it to the other couple. So they, they had some sort of treatment, infertility treatment, that was too expensive for them, and he gave the check to them. He was always about the other person. He wasn't about himself. And by the way, I do have to like mention as a side note, I spoke to quite a few people. I'm pretty sure most, if not all, of the people that I spoke to, he paid for their tuition. Like, I don't know if I spoke to somebody that he didn't pay for him to go learn in Yeshiva. Whether it's tuition, whether it's Israel, whether it's high school. He'd, like, pay for everybody. Like, he just, like, gave out his money for other people. Not, he didn't, not only sent his kids to Yeshiva schools, he sent so many other kids to Yeshiva schools. But the truth of the matter is, is that anybody that knows Rabbi Wallerstein, it's like, all these kids, they were like, all these, these kids that weren't really his kids, were like his kids. He treated everybody like this is their own child. I want to know what his enjoyment was. His enjoyment was helping someone. And if you met him, 
If you ever dealt with him, you can attest to that. You know, I heard this, you know, from him a while back. And again, I don't remember all the details. I'm going to say by memory. I couldn't find the source for it. But he needed to build, if I'm not mistaken, a dorm. He needed to build a dorm. So he went to Rav Steinman, a godel, in, you know, in Bnei Brak. He went up to Rav Steinman and he says, I need a bracha. And he says, I want to build a dorm. And Rav Steinman, you know, didn't really give him the bracha. And he tried to raise the money that he needed to, and, and he couldn't do it. A year or two go by, and he goes back to Rav Steinman. And he says, I need to build this dorm for the girls. There were girls that were going through a difficult time, and they needed a place to sleep because I worked so much on them. But then they went to their dysfunctional home, to their home that was broken, and everything that we just put into them in the seminary or in the high school, it just broke apart. He says, we need a place for them to live so that they, they, they're able to heal. And he goes up to Rav Shai and says, I need, I need this place. Give me please a bracha. And Rav Shai says, he goes and he gives him a bracha. And again, I'm saying this from memory, so I may be wrong in a few details. But Robert Watson goes up to him and says, you know, Kavad Rav, last year I came to you and I asked for a bracha. You know, you didn't really give me a bracha. This year you give me a bracha. What's the difference? And this is what a gadol sees hundreds of people a day, you know. He goes and says, and he remembers it. And he says, he remembers what I says last year. Not only remembers him, he remembers the details of it. He says, last year you told me you wanted to do something. When you want to do something, okay, you know, uh, how much of siyata dishma are you going to get? You want to do something. This year, you're telling me you need to do something. Need and want is very different. And he gave them the bracha. And very shortly afterwards, he was able to raise the money. He was able to, to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. And I believe this is, this is a big differentiation. This is something that you can really focus on. If you want to succeed in helping others. If you want to help others, maybe yeah, maybe yeah, you may help it. You may help somebody else, you may not. But if you need to help somebody else, then it's going to get done. We have to change our wants to our needs. Rabbi Wallerstein was somebody that not, he didn't want to help. He needed to help. This was his olam hazet. You know, obviously the purpose of this year is not only to tell you about, you know, what his accomplishment and who he was, but also that we could take things out personally. You want to accomplish greatness in spirituality, also materialistically, also physically. You got to change your want to need. Change your want to a need. Become something that if you need something, you're able to accomplish it. If you want it, maybe yeah, maybe not. And I think that was his essence. He needed to help people. It's not that he wanted to help people. He needed to. Who else would sit? I mean, I remember speaking to him. 12 o'clock at night, he would sit there and he would apologize to me. And he says, I need to eat something. And he would eat Cheerios. It was an Aryetzlach. And it was like midnight, you know, most of, most of my meetings with him was like, oh, it's like, you know, well into the night. And he says, I'm sorry, I didn't eat anything all day. He would run from place to place. He wouldn't have even a chance to eat. So while we were talking, he would sit and he would eat some Cheerios. If you want to do good, you're not able to last. But if you need to do good, then you're able to accomplish. You know, there was a, there was a clip that was going around and there's a clip that... You know, I, I heard this from him a long, long time ago, and it resonated with me. And I, I took it very personal, and I used it many, many times. And that was a clip with him in the, in the Hatzalah band. It was, for whoever is not familiar with it, it was 3.30 in the morning. 
He was exhausted. Probably one of those nights where he's like speaking to crazy people like me, you know, or other people are bothering him about different things. And um, he, it's 3.30 in the morning and he gets a phone call. He answers it, which is also something, you know, you answer your phone at 3.30 in the morning. And he answers it and um, there was a person on the line said, it's from Hatzalah. And he's, he's going out and he's like, Hatzalah, he's like, what's going on? You know, he has kids, brother, he has grandkids. He says, well, turns out, it was one of his girls were, went and not his family. One of his students went and uh, she she OD'd, she overdosed, and she needs to go to the hospital. So he says, "Can you go to the hospital? What do you want from me?" And she says, "She's not coming unless uh, unless you come." And she's he goes over there and he says, "Tell her you can't reach me. I'm exhausted. I spent the whole day doing so much for her. I just like tell her I can't go." And he says, "We tried that. That's all the guy says. But uh, you know." she's not listening to it. And he's like, all right, you know, like if she's not going to go, basically that's all the guy was saying, like if, if you don't come, she's not coming. She's not going to the hospital. She says, okay, fine. He says, all right, so come get me. He says, uh, where are you right now? So that's all the guy goes and he says, uh, we're in your driveway. And he's like, what? He's like, he thought that he would be able to at least sleep a little bit until they come in. The Hatsala people were already in their driveway. So he goes, he gets dressed, he gets dressed and he's walking down. And he says, this, this, he says you, you see this clip going around. He says over himself, he was going to the guy. He says, guy, why? God, why? He's like, really? He's like, really? He's like, it's such a long day. Can I get a little bit of sleep? And he goes on to explain. He says, you know this area, this, this moment in the night where you're exhausted and you're about to fall asleep. And all of a sudden your brain is like, hey, let's worry about like 7,000 things right now. And all of a sudden you like wake up and you're like, you can't fall asleep. You know, like that's the most difficult when you're about to fall asleep. He was about to fall asleep and that's when his phone rang. And he was like, really? It's like 3.30 in the morning. Can I get a few hours of shut-eye? Can I get a little bit of something of rest? And this is what he was thinking as he was walking down, going into the Hatsala van truck. And he gets into the Hatsala truck, into the ambulance, and this girl is vomiting. The girl is overdose. She needs to be rushed. She rushes. She gets rushed to the hospital. And Rebbe Zechariah Wasson goes and says, "You know, I said, I was thinking. He says on Rosh Hashanah, it was decreed that Rabbi Wasson will be on a hatzala van, a hatzala truck. And he says, but it wasn't, you know, decreed if I'll be on the gurney, if I'll be on the bench, if I'll be sitting, or if I'll be escorting somebody, or if I'll be the one who's going in there. It all depends on my, on my deeds. He says, but Baruch Hashem, he says." I was the one that was sitting on the bench and not the one sitting on the bed. And that's what he would, that, that's what he said. And now, and you know, when I started thinking, I'm like, you know, like, okay, fine. That makes sense. If you start thinking about that after, imagine he would think about that. He went to the, he went to the, you know, to the emergency room, dropped her off, went back home, had a nice few hours of rest, finally woke up and he started thinking about it. He says, you know what? He says, I, it was decreed for me to be over here, and that's why I'm here. So Baruch Hashem, I happen to be in this situation and not on the bed. But it wasn't like that. He said in the story also himself that he was telling this to the Hatzala guy. Meaning that he had this emotion of, upset, like, I can't say upset, but this frustration that he could have, he wanted to go to sleep. He got into Hatzala then, he right away, he told the Hatzala guy, he says, Baruch Hashem, that I'm sitting over here and not over there. Meaning that he was able to come to a conclusion where he was able to be frustrated at one point and very shortly afterwards to be thankful and happy that he was in that situation. You know, it's easy to afterwards, in hindsight, to be like, oh, you know what, it worked out well. And you know what, I shouldn't say it's easy, it's doable. But to do it in the moment where you're so frustrated 
and you're just done. And also you'd be like, you know what? No, let's twist it for the positive. It's unbelievable. And I can't tell you, I, I use this so many times where I was in a situation where, you know, it was difficult for me. And this thought, for years, this, I heard this, I don't remember how many years ago. For years, this carried me through, this thought. That Bar Hashem, I'm in this angle and not in that angle. Where people gave up, where people had nothing. He went and he gave them everything. He gave them his time, gave them his energy, gave them his money. You know, yeah, he took kids off the streets. He helped where no one else could. But little people, do people realize his goal? His goal was to help, to get them to learn Torah and to build a Jewish home. It wasn't just getting the people off. He carried them through the process until they were healthy and even paid for many of their parts in their weddings. We don't realize what we lost. We really don't realize what we lost. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.